Hey all, welcome to Eat Drink Social. My name is Michael Moeller, and throughout this podcast series, you'll be hearing from myself and the Go Social team. Go Social is a PR and social media marketing firm with offices in both Denver, Colorado, and Louisville, Kentucky. We'll be discussing social media trends and influencer best practices in the food and beverage landscape. And if you have any questions and want to reach out, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can visit our website at www.goforthbesocial.com. All right, happy to be joined now by David Coors of AC Brewing here in Golden, Colorado. David, thanks for taking the time to, to talk to, to us a little bit uh, about uh, what you all do today. Absolutely, thanks for coming in. Uh, so AC Golden's kind of in a unique spot um, because you all are, I don't, maybe that's the wrong word, but like a subsidiary of Miller Coors in, in a way. You're uh, the, the, the craft arm, the craft extension. I, I have a better understanding of, of what AC Golden Brewing is now, but can you just kind of sum it up for us? Yeah, I, I like to describe it as kind of the skunk works of the big brewery. I mean, here we are in, in uh, the Coors Brewery in Golden, Colorado, and uh, we can take you on a little tour afterwards if you guys want for, um, to see our setup, but we've got a 30-barrel system that's in the, the belly of the big beast, as we call it, and um, we get to break the rules, have some fun, uh, kind of be the skunk works and develop new, new interesting things and see what sticks and what doesn't. So the, the most famous brand under you, your all's um, name is um, Colorado Native. And the unique thing about that is that it's 100% pure Colorado ingredients, uh, production. Uh, you know, does that include like bottles and cans as well? Correct, yes. Everything's made here in the Golden Valley uh, from a packaging material. Awesome. That, that first started in 2010 there? Exactly, 2010. With the lager, I guess, and then you moved on to other expressions and, and like IPAs, stouts, and whatnot from then on, right? Yeah, the Amber Lager was our first beer that we launched with, um, and it was actually just called Colorado Native Lager at the time uh, because we didn't have plans to expand the line, and it was uh, just a beer that, that uh, uh, our brewers loved, we loved, and we thought this has got legs. So um, we called that just Colorado Native Lager, won some uh, GABF medals with it, and uh, the traction in the market was great. So our second extension off of that line was Golden Lager, and since we've launched uh, the Pilsner and also our IPA that we just launched back in uh, November, um, and it's been taken off as well. So yes, yeah, so quite a we're expanding that range, and then we've got seasonals as well, one a quarter that we launch uh, in marketplace, and also some barrel aged sours. Just real quick, so that 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 story began in 2010, but I guess the AC Golden Brewing story really began a few years earlier in 2007. Uh, what was that process like? Can you walk us through that and just kind of explain, like, because we're we're in the the, the cores factor here in Golden, like that's where you all are located. And uh, I'm just cu- curious about how that kind of got set up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my dad's Pete Coors, and he um, had the idea of creating uh, an incubator model within the big brewery. And basically, uh, we had seen some brands that we had launched uh, be successful, and some that weren't successful. And as you can imagine, as a fifth-generation family business, we were okay with a slower approach. And how do we create an environment for slow growth and strategic um, growth? So he launched uh, AC Golden Brewing Company with a gentleman called Glenn Nippenberg, um, who, or who we call Nip. And, uh, and he and Nip, he's pretty much said, okay, here's the, the pilot brewery, the 30-barrel system you can work on and let's see what you can create, and uh, it's evolved into what it is today. I, I think I found it really interesting that that was originally like an R&D setup, too, within, within Coors, and they kind of just reconverted that to a completely different like process for you all just to use and have fun on. 
Absolutely. That's the system that Coors Light was created on. Um, my uncle Jeff uh, designed and built um, and managed the Pilot Brewery for, for years when it was first built in the early 70s. And at the time, we were only making Coors Banquet. We were a single brand business um, and probably only in about, I don't know, maybe 15 states at the time. And uh, so that's so the light beer category was taken off. And that's the system. It was designed to I'd, I'd, be identical to the big brewery, uh, but on a smaller scale. And, and, yeah, there's been a lot of great beers that have come out of that little brewery. I, I reached out to uh, uh, some, some beer nerds and industry people that know you all a little bit better, better than I do being from Kentucky. Uh, but what, I, what I've noticed is that there's a, a, an utmost kind of respect uh, about what you all do. On one side, you, you have a, a great lineage of brewers that you know, work for you all and then go on to go do their own thing maybe too and become you know, their own head brewer at a, at a place that they start. Uh, but there's always like this thankfulness aspect to that that I've noticed. And that's, that's, that's great that you all kind of um, grow craft beer in that regard. I think, I think it might be fair to say that some of the rise of craft beer in Colorado, while it's been going on for a long time, certainly just in the last 10 years, you all probably had a big impact on. Yeah, I, I think it's um, well, a couple of things to say about that. One is that uh, our, the brewery network is is a brotherhood and brother and sisterhood, right? It's it's a pretty tight group, um, and yeah, we're we're a big brewery with great uh, experience and knowledge base, and and we do we we train a lot of people that end up leaving and going and doing their own thing, and also when other people have started up breweries, our brewers have helped them out. We've we've supplied. Um, countless number of craft breweries, materials, equipment. Um, and I think uh, the craft industry, it tends to be this big versus small, you're good, you're bad kind of uh, pointing finger thing, which I think is unhealthy for the entire beer category. And I really, if you go to um, uh, like the Craft Brewers Festival, or not the festival, but um, the conference, the Craft Brewers Conference, where the brewers are getting together, it's, uh, these guys are all friends. It somehow, and in, in when it shifts to sales and marketing, it tends to be a little bit more on the competitive side, uh, which I wish was a little bit less edgy, in my opinion. But, but yeah, I think we're, we're quite a uh, family from a beer industry perspective. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're sourcing ingredients sometimes, too, for these people, and that's, that's pretty admirable. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about that kind of freedom that you have on a 30-barrel system. Um, and, and what you can do to be entrepreneurial and, and kind of experiment with just last-minute recipes, basically. Like, does somebody get inspiration, and they're just like, okay, go, go do it. Go have fun with it. Yeah, so our, our head brewer, um, Jeff Nichols, likes to say we have 40 years of uh, recipes to draw from. So whenever we start kicking around, well, maybe we should brew this or that, he goes, well, there's probably something in the logbook somewhere. And then even beyond that, if you think of the Coors Archives, where we have the recipe from Adolf for Batch 19, uh, which is Adolf's handwritten brewing log script um, that they pulled the recipe out of. We, we've got plenty of recipes, but at the same time, so we can either draw back on some of those or it's saying, okay, we're seeing this little trend happen or, or you know, this really would be interesting for us to brew. And the guys will brew up a batch, and we'll give it a shot, and we'll put it at the employee bar, and we'll see what the reception is. Awesome. And uh, to, to that point, you know, many breweries around the country are starting to turn to other uh, products on the shelves besides just beer, uh, maybe F&Bs, maybe they're distilling, hard seltzers. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? And is that a direction that at any time you all might try to consider going as well? Yeah, I, from an AC Golden perspective, is yeah, what you want to speak to. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. It's uh, I, I think back to when I was um, 
in college and I remember coming back from college and I was 21 and I said, dad, we should get, you know, we should start making some whiskey. And he said, we're good at one thing and that's making beer. <laughs> so, so we've kind of stuck to that. Well, yeah, I mean, you can make the beer first and then <laughs> maybe try to distill exactly. it. <laughs> uh, so we've kind of stuck to that, I guess, over the years. But, um, yeah, the, the industry is shifting. I think beer is, is the growth is not, uh, there like it used to be. So I think you're seeing breweries start to diversify quite a bit. Um, we're looking at, at a lot of those categories that are popping up and, and what's the right move and, and really what is something that we can do that benefits the bigger business um, to test and learn potentially or what do we think we have capability or skill set or an idea that we think would resonate with consumers. We kind of play around with both of those. So um, yeah, we don't have any immediate plans, uh, but we are keeping an eye or pulse on things. Interesting. I'm actually going to talk now. So, um, so from a marketing perspective, you know, when we were doing some research, we were hunting around on AC Golden, and what's what's kind of your strategy there? Do you kind of keep it under the radar, or do you? I mean, we noticed there wasn't like a ton of social. Um, yeah, and, and so so how do you market AC Golden, or is that not a goal? Or yeah, no, it's it's really. Um, driven by budget, <laughs> so we, we don't have the biggest budget here. People think, oh, you're associated with uh, the bigger business and that should offer um, a lot of resources where it, it does allow us access to the big brewery and everything like that, but from a marketing dollar budget perspective, uh, not exactly. So we've always had a focus on kind of the grassroots approach, right, is uh, trying to get people to try the beer and talk about it and have a really good story proposition and product that people will share that word. So. Um, I guess grassroots or or um, uh, shared marketing initiatives, but everything we've we've done some social media. We haven't had a ton of focus on it. But I think we need to improve in that area. Um, and so we we've trying to figure out these days. If you think about it, how you break through all the clutter that we all see every day on every platform. I mean, if if you were to put fifty thousand dollars behind a, a, a media buy, that's a drop in the bucket because there's probably tens of millions of dollars of total media just in the state alone per day. So how do you take that drop of the bucket and, and uh, make an influence? Yeah. I don't, we're, we're trying to figure out. We've got that all out. the answers for yeah, you. Exactly, no, yeah. <laughs> um, so when you develop a product, um, d are you responsible for marketing it or do you hand it over to? No, it's all, all done here in house. Um, our marketing manager, Megan Nelson, who's here with us, uh, she definitely, has been instrumental. I brought her on in August, um, and she's had a huge impact. Yeah. So we do it all here. Okay, that's interesting. And so, you know, we work with both craft distillers and some of the big guys, and I know, like, we had an, a conversation about using an emoji on a tweet the other day, and the legal shut it down because they said it's too much youth appeal. And then some of our craft distillers are sending us, like, pictures of their babies holding moonshine jars. I'm like, no, you know, it's like, from a responsibility standpoint, that'd be horrible. Where do you guys lay and, like, you know, I'm, I'm assuming Coors Corporate's pretty strict and they do things a certain way. How, how do you guys market I know you said grassroots, but is is there a difference, or do you still have to? Um, we we definitely are we we mind uh, mind ourselves in that realm as far as we don't want to get the bigger business in in any um, predicament, but we also need to to I don't want to say push the limits, but do with everything within reason. Um, but I also think in 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 reality, whether it's a small brewer, or distiller, or a big one. Uh, we all need to be respectful and socially responsible around how we're communicating. And, and sure, in smaller circles with friends, we may think something, you know, is, is acceptable. But 
there are ramifications to that that um, and, and why we have a lot of those um, restrictions put in place is because it's it's for the right reasons but uh, when you're smaller you can be a little bit more nimble take a little bit more risks um, and that's something that we battle with a little bit but we try to push the limits uh, but do it in appropriate manner do you guys do any work with influencers like sending product to get posts on other people's we, we have done a little bit of that in the past. Um, we would love, I'd love for us to do some more. Um, I think the the natural influencers are, are really more um, impactful versus more the paid approach. Um, so we love it when people are just advocates and fans of the brand itself. Um, but we are starting to dabble in that space more and more. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and so do you ever use like social to crowdsource ideas for new beers? Or is it always come within? We we haven't in the past. Um, we've kicked it around. We you know through the big brewery that we sit in today, we put um, you know uh, two hundred fifty more than two hundred fifty thousand people through here a year, and we've kicked around. Do we have a chalkboard and let people write recommendations? Um, so we've been kicking around ideas of how we can start to crowdsource uh, ideas. It's it's also challenging, right? Because if you get a lot of people that put their effort and time into a, a something that doesn't come to fruition, you know, it, you, you can have some people that are frustrated with you, but uh, it's it's definitely an, an approach we've kicked around. So if you can say, what what do you think is the best idea or the or concept that's come out of AC Golden and what's been like the craziest, even if it never really came to fruition? Have you tested anything like just out there? Uh, the best idea hasn't come out yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Megan and I have only been working on this for <laughs> six to twelve months, but no. Um, uh, gosh, that's a good question. I think our, uh, I mean, just in the proofs in the pudding, our launching our IPA, uh, which we call West Slope IPA. All of our hops are grown on the Western Slope, um, which we help start uh, the hop industry out there. Uh, has been a great success for us, and I think it's uh, it's a, one a delicious beer, seven different hops, all grown here in Colorado. Um, so, and those those volume trends have been positive. So, I think that's certainly one of the good ideas that we've had, and some of the other stuff that I think uh, will be wonderful. I can't share with you today, but uh, we are, we are working on some stuff. <laughs> okay, that's great. Do you have any other? Beers? Just you know, um, in general terms, what's 2020 look like to you all? Like, what's what's next? Uh, gosh, we're just needing to start to kick off 2020 planning. Um, we're in the midst of a brand refresh that launches in July uh, that we're very excited about. We've made so really since I started in May last year when Nip retired. Um, and since then, we've we've converted our core lineup from bottles to cans. Uh, we've launched our IPA. Uh, we have the brand refresh coming. We've evolved some of our seasonal lineup a little bit. So We've been pretty busy and focused really on this brand uh, refresh here in in, uh, in July and August, and uh, we need to start thinking about 2020. But we're, we've we've also got some hurdles to worry about. <laughs> we've, we're having a good year so far, uh, so how do we how do we lap those? We've got some ideas, um, but trying to bring some new news, some freshness. But one thing I got to say is that our brewers. So we because we source all of our ingredients from Colorado. Malt is malt's um, pretty pretty good because there's some uh, small startup malting companies that uh, are helping us and being able to do some specialty malts for us and doing a great job, which is great. Um, but then on the hop side of things, a lot of the famous hops like your Simcoe's or your um, I don't know Mosaic and um, 
really the fruity citrusy ones are uh, we can't grow here. They're proprietary to those farmers on the northwest in the northwest. So we have a cran box of about nine to ten different hops at any given time, which is limited. And so uh, it, it's amazing that we can brew everything from uh, a pilsner to an imperial porter to an amber lager um, with that limited uh, cran box, as we call it. But we are testing a couple hops that we're planting this year, new hops that I think will be great in new beers next year. So more to come in that space. But uh, it's, a, it's a very talented team that has experience on both the big side. And now they take those learnings, apply it to the small side. And um, 2020 will be fun. David, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate thank it. you very much. All right, Courtney. So we just recently had a chance to visit uh, with the good folks over at AC Golden Brewing Company. Uh, and they're the actual the people responsible for the Colorado native beer brand there, which is kind of a, all a, a subsidiary, kind of like the craft uh, arm extension of course Miller Court Mol- Molson course uh, there in Golden, Colorado. What, what do you th- what do you think about that experience? Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I was really curious. I the, the fact that they were a startup within a large company how they would behave. Uh, you know, we, we work with GE Appliances and they have kind of the same setup where they have an incubator within their larger company and, and it's got a totally different culture. So I was curious to see if Coors had the same thing and AC Golden was also, you know, had a very different just attitude, marketing approach, uh, approach to branding than, than the parent company. So. Um, it's always interesting to see a, a smaller company within a larger company. What's, what's really interesting about that is that it kind of breaks the stereotype of big beer, you know, like macro brands, AB InBev, Molson Coors, being corporate and in craft being the only ones that are kind of like having fun out there. Um, whereas technically, I mean, that Colorado native brand is owned by a, a larger beer brand, but they're still having fun as well. Um, so I don't really think it's not anything to do with who owns who and independent brands, but rather like the, the size in the company and the regional distribution maybe. But in, in your, you know, in your, you know, research or just with your own observations, have you noticed any big differences kind of between like the bigger beer brands versus craft brands on social? Yeah. You know, I, I took a look at some of the bigger guys on social and tried to compare them. And, and one of the things that I saw were the bigger brands were much more apt to put the, the product front and center, where the craft brands were telling almost a fuller story. So you'd see the, the brewer more often. Um, they would even do things like say, hey, we have this job opening position. So it definitely had like a smaller craft feel to the social, um, where it was less about the brand and more about just the, the whole process of making the beer, um, where the bigger guys were more about the end product. You know, occasionally they talk about the, the production and the process and the ingredients, but really it was, you know, that can or that bottle was really front and center. And, and they also used uh, video a lot more, the bigger guys did. And that's not surprising because, as we know, like vi- video is a more expensive medium um, than photos. So it's not surprising that they'd have a little bit more of a polished um, approach to their social media. And, and I think it makes sense as far as regional distribution or even just taproom only releases because basically the, 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 the smaller craft beer brands, these, these smaller uh, like neighborhood breweries, really the I mean they want you to buy the beer but they also want you to come into the tap room and visit exactly. with them yourself I mean they're so they're they're basically just trying to drive people into the tap room 
uh, either for you know an event or maybe a, a can release. I mean, four four fifty North in Columbus, Indiana. They are pretty well regionally known now. I mean, I want to say maybe thirty thousand followers on Instagram or something along those lines, and they are pretty centrally located uh, between Louisville, between Cincinnati, between Indianapolis, and they are getting people to come in from all those larger metro areas just for can releases. So they're constantly like, and when I say can releases, they're releasing like seven or eight cans at a time on like a random Friday morning, and there's a line out the door at 7 a.m. Um, but the, they're, they're getting these people primarily through social media, like just, you know, just shout outs uh, like, hey, we're doing a can release next Friday, come on by. And they barely even really talk about the beer itself in the post, kind of like you said earlier with the uh, the beer front and center, it's much more community driven. I kind of, I, I, as, a, as a mom, I kind of think about it as, you know, like they, they when, when you're a craft brand, you, you're, this is really like your baby, right? But then as you get bigger and you go to other markets, it's like your brand goes out there into the world and it becomes less about, you know, you at home and more about the brand interacting out there in the world. And I think you see that that shift in that mindset. Even, you know, even our client Old Forge, they, you know, they're in a very highly touristy area. But as they put their product out in Nashville and 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 Louisville, like you're starting, you know, we're we're able to talk more about them on premise and and out out in the world. Um, and so there is that that shift. And I think as as your brand grows and evolves, you start to think differently. You start to think of it more as a brand and less as a place. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Are, are you familiar with, with Tracker? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's, it's the social media marketing platform. And, and they did a study uh, on social media influencers, particularly the differences between craft versus macro. And, and what they found was really interesting in that the engagement rate was usually higher, if not double, on the craft side than the macro side. So like they, they were comparing Russian River Brewing uh, in California. I guess they do some influencer outreach. And those um, user-generated influencer posts uh, had like double the engagement rate of brands like Michelob Ultra. It's just interesting to see that there is like that much of a difference even though the brand is con- like so much smaller. And I think that it just goes back to the idea of this community independent brand. Yeah, definitely. And I, I guess that would be a challenge as a big brand. Like, how do you keep that kind of personal, authentic touch? Because the bigger you get, the more you can come off just kind of, you know, cold and sterile and not familiar. <laughs> um, so so how, do you, how do you keep those values that you had when you first started and keep telling that story even as a big brand, uh, especially with folks that may not be as familiar with you? Do you, do you think that the, the macro brands out there do a lot of like reposting or anything like that? I think it seemed, it, from what I saw, the, the larger the brand, the less likely they were to share fan photos. So it kind of, it kind of becomes more of a, you know, we, we want to own the content. And, and, and that does give it less of a community feel. I would say like a brand like Jack Daniels, which I know is <laughs> not beer, but I feel like they've done a really good job at never forgetting who they are. So they're, they're the largest whiskey brand in the world, um, but, but you still get that feel of Lynchburg when they talk on social. And I feel, so I think it's possible to be honest, when I was looking at some of the bigger brands, uh, beer brands, I didn't really get that feeling. Like I didn't really know their roots and where they came from. Kind of felt like they lost that. So 
Yeah. I think I think it is hard, and and maybe maybe sharing fan content is one way you could still, you know, <laughs> still be in touch with the people, um, and it, and it doesn't come off so cold, and that could be a strategy they should use. Yeah, ab absolutely. And actually, going back to that Jack Daniels example real fast, I mean, it doesn't really come off on social, but I, I know that Jack Daniels is pretty involved with their guild throughout the, without, throughout the state, the Tennessee Whiskey Trail there in Tennessee. And what's funny is that Budweiser, for as much you know disdain and hatred that they get in the craft beer community throughout the country, in their home city of, of St. Louis, they're pretty involved with the St. Louis Brewers Guild there. So it's just a really interesting dichotomy. So like they, they, they stay local to their own local market, but yeah, like you said, like when they go out into the world, they're kind of seen a little bit differently. All right, everybody, that wraps up today's episode of Eat, Drink, Social. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to share or maybe you know somebody that does, feel free to reach out to us. 